I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is as creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right, Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who you, Doug really is not comfortable yeah. with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business, for my money. Buck Swope? Buck Swope asked Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah! <laughs> I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is struck. I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's going to have it. Why? I don't know. I just know he does. The wonderful Buck Swope. You know Buck Swope? Well, yeah. Seem to have kind of an issue with Buck Swope. Right. It always goes back to Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Mr. Buck T. Swope. What's up, kids? You are listening to Swope's Picks, number three. A look back at the 2011 Cardinals and all the crap that went down leading up to Game 6. Later on, we'll be joined by Tim McKernan. But right now, we're going to flash back to the first week of the season in April 2011. Get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. It's going to be big tomorrow. Jennings on Foot Friday. Friday. Hey, Jennings. Uh Maybe you offer up a round of golf for four to someone who's willing to bring their girlfriend in. It's just, I wouldn't oh no, make a radio show about? special on it. How's that? <laughs> you wouldn't do for I would not take it that far. Yeah. If you want to bring in your wife or girlfriend... Or if you want to bring both. I don't know if they the two want to hang out together, but you can bring them in. So all you got to do is bring in your female counterpart. Right. Or if you just have a friend that wants to show her wife feet. Wife or just some friend. Yeah. And, and if she shows her feet tomorrow on Foot Fetish Friday... She gets a foursome at Gateway, you say. Or the, bluff. or the Bluffs. Everybody who walks in is going to get a, that or the first. We'll limit well, what it. if you got 15 people? <laughs> there should be a foot there. winner, whoever has three. the best Three, three. That's a good three. Three, you three, can do three different foursomes? Yeah. I know, that, a, I know a guy. That's like, what, a $400 value? Well, Doug's going to bring his wife. <laughs> I'll, I'll show my feet no. for a foursome at the... Well, we can't no. have that. The web will go nuts. Oh. So yesterday, uh, the kingdom was broadcasting down from Hot Shots, where Caden was, and then had to leave at 5 to go to bed. Tired and uh, and he was all worked up about uh, Tony Larusa. Mm. That's not like him. But yesterday, Larusa, after saying at the end of the uh, season last year that he was going to be more media friendly this year, and I just said when he said that, I said I wish he wouldn't do that because there's no way he's going to be able to live up to that. No, and he's just setting himself up to get murdered. You know, Derek Gould asks him a variety of questions about the Cardinals only scoring 15 runs in six games. Fair, considering you yeah. look at some of the batting averages on the team. Albert Pools is hitting under 200. Terrio, uh, Molina, and Freeze has really not looked particularly good out of the gate, which is concerning. And so this was Derek Gould's line of questioning, and then eventually Tony LaRusso storming out, uh, ending the press conference. Here is the sound clip. I think it's unfair to, to look at what's happened offensively in this homestand and relate it to what happened last season? Do you, do you think? Yeah. That... What happened? Like we were 10 games over 500 and finished second place. I mean, you're going to pick and choose what you like and don't like about our club? You know, there were a lot of offensive stats compared very well in the league. Look at those. So what happened? Like, you know, we ended up with a winning streak, didn't we? I mean, I think it's just depend on your frame of, frame of reference. And, you know, I always have a problem with that. I mean, you should look at the whole thing. Last year's club had a had a good, better than average offensive year. Didn't have a great offensive year. So, and this is a brand new year. So we'll see what happens. Yes, that's, that's where I was going with that. Is, I mean, you y'all specifically set out to be better offensively this year than last year because, you know. So that's why I, I mean, wonder if it's not fair. Hmm. For everybody listening out there, I mean. It, you think I'm being unreasonable? It's the first week of the season. Yeah. I mean, you guys, are, I don't understand this. 
<laughs> Are you going to tell me? Who are you going to tell me? You're going to tell me that Yadier doesn't drive in big runs? You're going to tell me Albert can't hit? You're going to tell me the second baseman's shortstops haven't hit? David Freeze, you don't think he's going to hit? I, I don't know why that stuff sets Larusa off as much as it did. Well, probably because deep down it hit a nerve because it's true. That's why when, when people get defensive about things, oftentimes that's because the bomb landed close to home. And the bomb landed close to home. They are not a good offensive team at this particular moment. And I don't necessarily know if they are going to be a good offensive team. They have a real question mark at the top of the order, Terrio. The freeze at bats have been bad. It's one thing to have the results. The, the, sometimes guys just hit into bad luck. They've been concerning. Four-pitch strikeout yesterday in his pinch hit appearance. That's concerning. But overall, are these guys all gonna, that I named, Freeze, Terrio, Pools, and Molina, all going to hit under 200? No. But are they going to hit well enough to be a team that is, is capable of winning games I look at this other team than one nothing at this two, particular one. moment, and they look like a bad baseball team. Mm-hmm. And I realize, of course, that it's six games into the season, but a boring bad baseball team. The other thing, and I wrote about this morning on InsideSTL.com, the empty seats for yesterday's game. Now, there may have been people who were scheduled to go to the Cardinal game and then ran into a, a hang-up. With, right. You know, Locker they issue. Were, they were four, looking for yeah, four I mean, seasons. That can get really frustrating. She was missing. That, that, but I don't really think that explains go? why there were... How many empty seats yesterday? They announced 34,000-plus, but anybody who saw that Carpe game... said there might have been 20,000? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's the number. And it was I mean, a nice we're, day. We're driving over to Hot Shots. I, we, you can see in the Yeah, I remember park. wondering if there was actually a game going on. <laughs> <laughs> it was really... And it was a beautiful... Yeah, it was beautiful. Day. Don't get me wrong. Those, it's a Wednesday, Those afternoon still. weekday games used to drop. Yes, crowds. absolutely. And I realized it was very cold, and I realized it was the Pirates, and I realized it was a Monday night. But if I'm not mistaken, was the, was the stat on Monday that that was the, the lowest at the new, new place at the new bad ballpark? Yeah. yeah. Here right now, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people all that upset about the Cardinals at this particular moment because it doesn't seem like there's all that much interest relative to what it's like in St. Louis, which I always say is like Green Bay with football, which is odd to me. Yeah, I, I get, get that, that? too. And I, I don't know why. Maybe people wrote off the season once Wainwright was hit. Or hurt, excuse me. I don't know. I don't. That was the only theory I could come up with. I know I personally did, and then much like what I described a couple days ago, I felt like Cardinal fans initially were like, "The season's over," and then like you kind of con yourself into thinking everything's going to be all right. I would, you know, it's like the religion equivalent to sports, uh, and and say, you know what, everything's good. McClellan's going to do this, and Lowe's will be back, and then you still have Carpenter and Westbrook and Garcia, so you'll be fine. And then it became all right. But when it really gets down to it, deep down, deep down, yeah. even for the most 700 club member of the Cardinal fan nation, uh, do you really think this team is going to compete for a world championship? And it's tough to believe that. And that, I would have said that a week ago before they went 2-4 and four with losses in series to the Padres and the Pirates. I look at it, and not only do I find them to be bad, which isn't really a, going out on a limb considering they didn't score more than three runs in any game for the first time since 1919. That's a ridiculous statistic. Yeah, it is. But that was an interesting one Derek Gould had in his piece this morning. Uh, but also that there doesn't seem to be much buzz about it. And I guess that's, I think, I don't know, my theory is, is because the expectations weren't when it really gets down to it all that high. Morning, Mike. Hello. Hello, Mikey Mike. Hello. Yes, hey. yes. Yeah, I can't believe they trade Kobe, huh? You mad about that? Yeah, I know Kobe. Yeah, you know him well. I know him, too. You I... met him at an Inside STL party, didn't you? That's correct, Doug. Well done. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, he did. 
So you're having a conversation with hey, yourself. Tim. Apparently. Yes, Mike, yes. You, you remember I met him from the parties one that day. Yep, you know, uh, if I recall correctly, the Cardinal representatives at that party were uh, Colby Rasmus, Brendan Ryan, Ryan Franklin, and Todd Wellemeyer. Gone, yeah. gone, 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 gone. That, that went well yeah. for all of them. So I can't believe gone. Yeah, well, actually, it just can kind of stand to reason because the other three have already been vanquished. They need Trey Tarney to get out of here. Well, uh, you can call in from three to six, and you'll get a carpe diem for that. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, but uh, I do recall, I think it was a call about three weeks ago, you were uh, talking uh, about a guy named Zipchinsky who you wanted the, the Cardinals to get to solidify the left side of the bullpen, so they got him. Who? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people said that yesterday. Uh, your thoughts on Edwin Jackson? Who's that? Your thoughts on Octavio Dotel? I don't know. Corey Patterson, steak and shake? What? A, yeah, what about, what about? Yep. All right, so now I think we've kind of gotten the official stance of this program mm-hmm. uh, on Inside STL. The poll is up. And the question is real simple. Are you happy with the Colby Rasmus trade? 67% say no. Here is what I wrote on Inside STL on July 12th. Doug, that uh, just for your fun with math, 16 days ago. Yes. I'll suggest another bird can be killed with one stone. Trade Colby Rasmus now. I'm of the opinion that his value won't ever be higher, and I'm of the opinion that he just isn't going to be a great player in St. Louis. I'm also of the opinion that John Jay makes that lineup better than Rasmus. Now, I realize that this is a polarizing opinion, uh, but as Ken Rosenthal said yesterday morning on the ITD Morning After, Rasmus would definitely be a desired trade chip for another team. But Rosenthal's of the opinion that it would be a mistake to trade Rasmus. That's subjective. I respect his opinion. However, I believe trading Rasmus would land the Cardinals the caliber of pitcher they need to compete with the Phillies and, as odd as it may sound, improve the lineup. And I stand by all of that, except now there's one difference, and it's what changes my opinion on the trade. And that is the Cardinals would be able to land uh, a great arm in exchange for Colby Rasmus, and they didn't do it. I, I don't get. It takes a lot for me to get angry about sports stuff, uh, especially on the field stuff. And I'm, and I'm not angry about this. I'm just really confused by it. Disappointed would be a word I would use, but confused would be the one that I think of most. It's not like the Cardinals had an urgency to make this move. The trade deadline was still four days away. You still had a number of outfield dominoes that could fall, and it's not like the Cardinals had some huge opponent in town or huge series this weekend. They're playing the bottom of the barrel in the National League Central and really overall in baseball. And so it's not like a great opportunity was on the table and they took it. I don't get that part of it. The second part of it is, yes, there's no question. I think it's really, I'd have to question someone if they were to say the team is not better now than they were before for now in 2011 because it has helped the pitching overall so much whether it be with Chinsky the left-hander Jackson in the rotation or McClellan into the bullpen with that all out there I don't believe it was worth trading Colby Rasmus and this is coming from someone who wanted to see them trade Colby Rasmus but it's not an absolute it was with the disclaimer at all times because I think Doug and I uh, discussed this if they can get proper value in return. I'm of the opinion that they did not. I'm confused by why it had to take place on July 27th before seeing what you could really get when all the cards are on the table on the day of the deadline. Talking Cardinal baseball, we touched on it at the start of the show. Uh, The Cardinals losing last night, both the Braves and the Brewers winning. The Cardinals are now seven games back 
I can't imagine that it feels too good to experience the 21st to 21st blown save of the season and back-to-back losses to the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that had been awful over the last three weeks, has now put the Cardinals in a position where they are really uh, far back in both races. They're up against it. Is what you'd say. Yeah. Gentlemen, we're up against it. Seven games back, and uh, it'd be difficult to foresee a situation in which this team, with a lack of quality depth starting pitching, is able to put a Brewers-like run together. Yeah, you can't see that at all. You can see more likely the opposite, and the team just falling apart completely right now. And I don't see much reason to hang your hat on a on a huge cardinal comeback based on what you see on the field, based on the starting pitching that they've that they've gotten. I don't it really looks kind of hopeless right at the moment. And it has to just be especially frustrating. The cat, maybe you can speak to it, maybe you can't. You're on the road with the team. I don't know what what the guys say or what they don't say, but to have another kick in the ball loss where uh, kick in the balls loss where you have. Uh, another blown save just has to, I mean, it's just got to wear on you. It wore on you, I'm sure, in April, much less here we go again in August. This is a team, you know, with with, uh, veteran guys that I think have done a good job of not overreacting when things go badly, when they got off to the slow start, when a key player goes down, but Lance Berkman was interviewed after the game, and while he said all the right things, I sensed... (laughs) A different. Uh, I, I felt like that one got to Lance Berkman. I've seen him after the Cardinals have a stretch of bad games, and he stays upbeat and says it's a long season. And and though there's not a lot of time left in the season, uh, there still is enough time to make a run. But I just got the sense, even though he said all the right things, that uh, this one really did take a toll on 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 the clubhouse. Yeah, it could happen. You know, they could make up a couple games here in the next week or so and start September four. Four games out, you sure wouldn't cash in at that point, but it's not very promising right now. I continue to be extremely impressed with David Freeze, though. I think he might be one of the most underrated players in the league. He's up to 326. He always seems to hit. He hits some big situations. in five straight games, which I think is the first time a Cardinal has done that all season. Defensively, he had a gem last night. He's been very solid. Boy, he hits. He's got a very compact, uncomplicated swing, and he hits. His approach is almost like he's going to try to go the other way, and if if you try to go inside on him, he can pull that too. Another Cardinal spirit win. Unfortunately, Doug, though, this doesn't count in the win column. Why not? We've got to lobby Major League Baseball for that. Uh, But the Cardinals lose 2-1. to If the games were to end, though, after eight innings, and and we're trying to push that forward as well, Mm -hmm. uh, this club would have one of the best records in the game. It really would be. Come on, Skipper, leave him in there. One through Leave eight. him in for another inning, Skip. Innings one through eight. That's where you really determine a spirit win. I thought they were supposed to play a hard nine. Changed it. It's a hard eight. They took Leave Carp- him in there, Skipper. They took Carp out. Crowd didn't really seem on board with that maneuver. No. Wish the crowd could have made the call. I mean, if you're not going to leave Chris Carpenter in to finish a five-hit shutout, are you ever going to see another shutout in a Cardinal uniform? Oh, I think somewhere down the line we will. Uh, I, I don't know what you'd have to do to be allowed to stay in to finish a game. Well, he threw not... 99 pitches. I, don't, I okay. don't know if he had gone over 100 all season. Well, wait a minute. Yes, he many times. About 20. That I... was the second time in 13 starts that he hadn't gone over 100. Um, they had a, a talk out there on the mound. I don't unless Carpenter said, "I'm out of gas. Take take me out." I don't. Then think I, I think apologize. Tony was stalling. No, I w- did you watch the post game, Joe? I did not. I couldn't take it there's anymore. N- there's no qu- what, shot of the cat. <laughs> No, it's not the show itself. It's the season. Uh, the uh, the comments from Chris Carpenter made it very clear that he would have been on board staying in. That's Tony's decision. 
That, he doesn't even like answering that. He will immediately not make eye contact and look away. Carp. That was just a, an absolute classic case of overmanaging, where you got a guy just sailing along. Maybe he's a, more tired than he was in the second inning. That that's okay. But you got your best pitcher out there with a five-hit shutout in the ninth, and you want to take him out for an Arthur Rhodes-Fernando Salas combination? That just doesn't make any sense. And to further compound it, he puts Raphael for call, and it's short in a defensive replacement with his thumb wrapped up, and he makes a throw to the plate that's nowhere close to home. And by putting for call in, he takes Berkman out of the game, so the bottom of the ninth comes up. Instead of having the guy who, who hit a home run for you to supply the only run, you got for call hitting again. And you have Matt Holliday having a moth fly in his ear, so he came out of the game. So the big bats weren't there. Yeah. It worked fine for eight innings. And now you got to change everything for the ninth? I just don't get that. I don't get it. And I know the Dodgers were thrilled to see Chris Carpenter lead that game. Thrilled. I can't imagine the team's too happy. Now, I don't know if any... Well, I'm certain, actually, you're not going to see anybody on camera. Uh, say anything, and I'm not sure who would say anything off camera. Probably be only to a select few people if they even did. But I just don't think there's a whole lot of faith in Salas. Uh, and you know there's faith in Carpenter. And it would be one thing if he was on 130 pitches, even though he has gone that deep. And by that deep, I mean that many pitches this year. But you're talking about 99 pitches. And you're talking about a guy who had been pitching, um, you know, lights out. Five it's- hits, eight innings. This is the closest thing the Cardinals have had to Bob Gibson since the 1960s. This is probably the best pitcher the Cardinals have had since Gibson. It really is. And a guy, too, who there's no such thing as a pitch count for him. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was over 130. And if he stays in and they get two runs and beat him, oh, well, it's one of those tip your cap to the dog. Oh, well, you beat him. 23rd blown save. Uh, how many times is it after the eighth inning that they've had a lead and they've lost? That was a stat in the Post-Dispatch article I read this morning, and I don't want to misquote the number. Um but obviously, that's another one. And uh, once it's happened so many times, plus they're just not in the mix, uh, it doesn't really bother me. If, the, if that were a game where they were up by a game or two over Milwaukee or whomever, or they were down by a game or two to Milwaukee or whomever, I'd probably be, well, I know I would be, I'd be really pissed. You'd but be hopping mad is what you'd be. I'm not hopping, but I'd be pissed. It's, it's not usual that where you, where you see a decision made right there and it's not second-guessing after didn't work out. Yeah. The crowd immediately booing. voiced disapproval. One step onto the field, they were already booing, saying, "No, don't do it." Don't. It's one thing if he's going out there to bring in Bruce Suter, Dennis Eckersley. It's another if you're bringing in Arthur Rhodes and Fernando. It's another Salas. thing too, where he was he was so efficient and so effective. He plunked a guy, and that was you know Tony saw something and and wanted to get him out of there. Uh, certainly left himself open for for some criticism. To take it to another level, two things. Uh, you make this trade for Colby Rasmus, the supposed centerpiece of the deal is Mark Zipchinski, who isn't pitching. And Arthur Rhodes is the guy you go to in that situation. What's going on there? I'm telling you this deal, this we're all in, in a year when you have the Philadelphia Phillies doing what they're doing, and you have the question marks you have, and you bring in Octavio Dotel, Edwin Jackson, who's gone after the year, and the guy that you're now not using three weeks into his stay here in these critical situations is also incredibly questionable, but it won't get as much attention as the Chris Carpenter thing. And they got a real problem at closer. And I'm not talking about this year, because this year's cash it out, barring a miracle. This year, you could look at a lot of games that they 
gave away, especially early in the season when he kept trotting Ryan Franklin out there when it was clear to everyone else in baseball that, that this guy didn't have anything. There were games like the uh, Carpenter game the other night when he took him out working on a five-hit shutout in the ninth inning, immediately came back and lost that game. You could look at 10 or 12 games this year where he has to face a little bit of criticism for the way that he handled the end of games. The frustrating part about this season, just looking at this season, is you could say it's the bullpen, and, and you, you'd be you know, on, on solid ground for that argument. But to me, they got past that for the most part, and they were still in first place. And then they, they had a stretch where the starting pitching rattled off six straight quality starts, and they didn't win those games. And then there's other, because the offense was shut down by some random guy. And then they have other times where the starters can't go three, four innings. I just think it's one of those things where nothing worked. I'm not that excited about the Cardinals anymore. I don't like their chances. I didn't bother writing about the Cardinals in my Tuesday morning scrappy utility, man. What do you mean? They got a couple of spirit wins right where they want to be? When we started the program, Doug, as you remember, on Friday morning, one of your favorite shows, according to your blog, Cardinals were seven and a half back with Uh uh, Uncle Mo in their corner. (laughs) And uh, then they played a tough bunch from Cincinnati. Uh, and lost two of three, and then uh, played the Brewers and the Sun yesterday and lost that also, and so they're now ten and a half back is what I have them at. I don't like their chances now. Well, if you go by the spirit standings, they're a game and a half back. I didn't see a lot of spirit either. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call these spirited losses. I went uh, to the game Sunday. They had so many chances to do something, to bunt hit and run, steal a base, and they just stood around the entire game. Just stood there flat-footed the entire game. It's a shame. You absolutely know, nothing. The thing that, that I continue to have held on to was the wild card, and the Braves have been really wobbly. Doug, the Cardinals are coming. No, they're not. They blew another save last night. They had a real chance. Every time I think it's going to happen for this club, Disaster. The keep, Pirates. Keep Dotel in there, would you please? Keep Dotel in. I like Dotel. <sighs> Had it all set up. Couldn't do it. Cardinals lose last night to the Pittsburgh Pirates by a score of 6-5. to five. They entered the bottom of the eighth once again, their opposition's final at bat, as we've seen so many times this year, in particular in the first third of the season. But it's still lurking here and there in August and September, and it popped up last night with the Pirates scoring three runs off of Octavio Dotel. Zabchinski and then Fernando Salas, who couldn't be trending downward any more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a 1-2 pitch, he gives up a uh, hit, and that leads to the Pirates scoring a total of three runs. He didn't give them ball up in the bottom of the eighth, and the Cardinals were down 6-4. to four. They rallied. They did do that. In the top of the ninth, and the tying run was at third. You got the tying run at third. What do you do? You got to bring him Corey Patterson. Why? Because he is one for one against Joel Hanrahan. And you're talking about a nice sample size there. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to see if they, who else they had on the bench. Alan Craig had already pinch hit. I mean, who would you have rather seen there? I don't know who else they really, they had. Maybe Terrio? A lot of, well, like that, and that gets back to the why all the switches. Late innings, defensive, and then taking out your bats late in games. Many times have you seen the Cardinals bullpen blow it, and Berkman's already out of the game. I realize the defensive replacement thing, but that's brutal. Uh, And you get the fish beating the Braves. The Braves went to the extra innings. They came back to tie the Marlins, and then they lose in 12, and so the Cardinals were right there to be three and a half. Three and a half games, it just seems three, because I think so many people had, and understandably so, including myself, had written it off. Here, here. And... And now it's back, 
And it still is. I mean, if they would have won last night and the Braves were in, you would have felt good about it. It's more frustrating when you lose and the Braves lose, especially when the Braves are playing the effing Marlins. And the Cardinals had that game once again, but as the story has been throughout the course of the season, so many games have been there for the taking. And last night, again, the bullpen, which had been very good here as of late, yeah. uh, blows it. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I mean a bunch of guys I've never heard of, are getting hits and, uh, and making big defensive plays and throwing Yachty or Molina out from their knees. I think any of the stuff. three of us could have beat out that ball. I really think it's we probably could have. But you know, the guy's hitting darn near 300. So. And he's pretty good defensively. No, but it is to, frustrating. It's brutal. And then, like you said, combining the fact that the Braves lost last night to the Florida Marlins, it makes it more frustrating. On the other side of it, and I'm not by any means doing any spin here because I'm pissy about it, quite honestly. Oh, well, he's pissy. Though. I'm pissy. I think it's a good word. Because pissed makes it sound like I'm angry. Pissy makes it sound like I'm dandy. Kind of prissy. Right. And, yeah. and I think I am. You're a prissy person who's a little peeved. Right. More like a bottom. Like, I think if I'm a top, I think I'm pissed. But if it's a bottom, I think I'm pissy. <laughs> ah! Mm. The fact that the Braves continue to lose illustrates to me that last night might not be the last time that opportunity is there to pick up a game. They continue to struggle. It's just a shame, though, because it was there for the taking. Can you imagine how exciting it would have been to go into today, three and a half games back, and Chris Carpenter on the mound in Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's just and it was there. off a one-blown save. Think of all the mistakes that have happened along the way for this team. And they had a chance the last night, had the game in hand, and gave it away. It would have been three and a half back of a struggling Braves team. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. See why I'm pissy? I, I see now. You know, see why I bottom? Prissy little bottom peeve prissier, or whatever it was you said you were. <laughs> There's a promo now, gang. Prissier. But what everybody wants to talk to you about this morning uh, is what took place yesterday at Bush Stadium. Uh, Doug, as you know, I'm a 34-year-old taught and rewarding man, mm. but I am depressed this morning. Oh, yeah, and, I, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but I think it's therapeutic to share it with the uh, really the, the nation. I think it is. By blowing that game yesterday, the Cardinals go from one game out to two games out. And when you're talking about six games left, that is devastating, but no more devastating than the manner with which they lost the game. I would say the most difficult Cardinal loss since Matt Holiday dropped the ball in game two of the NLDS in 2009. With a four-run uh, lead, Mott's not the guy I would have called him. In that spot. It, it, La Russa can't help himself. He just has to make a, a hundred changes a game. He just absolutely has to. Even when a game appears to be locked up and a no-brainer anymore. But it, it still gets down to the players. Were you, were you sh- wagging your finger at the television? No, I wasn't. <laughs> I, to tell you the truth, Were I you shaking your fist at the television? I wasn't even paying very close attention because I had checked out. I thought this one's over. During the game, Strauss came over to me and said, Is there a fire in the dugout? And I said... Not that I'm aware. I hadn't heard anything in my IFB. Check into this. Ask someone. So I was like, we don't know about it. So that's the last I even thought about it until the post game, where after what could be, what could turn out to be one of the most devastating losses in a long time. Again, either let's see way, where they go. Either way, though, and there's a, how it feels for Larusa. <laughs> it's got to be one of the worst losses he's been had experience in St. Louis. How it feels at the moment. Right. So he was asked about. It was Tony, unreal. Was there a fire in the dugout? Calvin and, Tony, May. and Tony's looking at him like, Do you, is this a reference? Is there a fire in the belly? 
Was there a fire of our soul? Calvin May, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the one who is the leadoff man in the post-game press conference. I'm something. I'm sure it's something that uh, when somebody's looking for Cardinal Sound in Bristol, Connecticut, or New York City, and they hear this, they have to think it's some kind of joke. But it's real, and it happens every post-game. Here's what Calvin did. Four questions, I would say. Five questions in. Might last have been a night. little deeper. Uh, it wasn't that deep. It was that's what that's what made it really. It, it wasn't that he'd already sparred with Derek Gould. <laughs> you know, it clearly wasn't in a good mood. And then Calvin brought this heat. No pun intended. Tony, uh, did something catch on fire in the dugout? There was like a small fire down at the end of the dugout, and Corey Patterson stopped it out. Well, I, I missed that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear it. But uh, Calvin asked if there was a fire in the dugout. Right, and Tony's looking around like, this is the worst. fire in our belly? This is what? the lowest I have felt since Matt Holiday dropped the fly ball to clinch game two of the NLDS in 2009. And Calvin May, who is usually there. Nice, very nice man. As nice as it gets. One of the greatest. Nicer than all of us. Is there for asking the first question, then usually kind of shuts her down after that. <laughs> goes right back into the fray. And it's a battle in there with, I know I heard Derek Gould, and then Tony jumped his ass right away. I mean, it didn't matter who was going to ask. It could have been Bob Costas down there. He was going to get his ass jumped. It didn't matter. But Calvin decided to bust out, though, was there a fire in the dugout? I honestly thought, because I know you guys have discussed with Calvin before about putting together a large amount of money to contribute to him asking some asinine question at the absolute worst moment. I'm thinking they finally got him. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked this moment, but they finally got now him. Now you're discussing something in public that really hasn't been confirmed whether or not there was a pile of over $400 contributed to by the media for Calvin to say, getting tired of this crap yet, Tony? <laughs> just, to see, just to see his reaction. It, but uh, that's, that's all allegedly. Doug, the Cardinals are uh, coming. Tra-la. Cardinals are in trouble. Tra-la, tra-la. They're in a little Whoa. bit of trouble. Just where they want to be. Backs to the wall. Been there for weeks. This is where they want to be. This is what, this is what brings out the best. Doug's b- powder blue shirt matches his eyes. It gets yeah. me damp. I beg your pardon. Well, sir. he's just a, he's damp anyway. He's a leakage problem. Right. Ah, I have a leakage problem. In my lifetime of going to Cardinal games, and I would think at this point, probably been to around 1,000 Cardinal games, and I feel like I have walked out of Bush Stadium twice, twice and o- only twice, and felt like the manager, whether it be Waddy Herzog, Mike Jorgensen, Joe Torre, Tony LaRusso. Patini was acting manager. I don't know if that counts. Joe Patini cost the team again. John McGraw. He didn't. I don't know if I was around for that. Hornsby managed for a while. Uh, one of them was 10 years ago today, as a matter of fact. That was when Jeff Tabaka came in, ten years ago today, after pitching three and two-thirds innings all season in the most crucial at-bat of the season to face, interestingly enough, Lance Berkman. The Cardinals win that game. They are a win away from winning the National League Central and avoiding it Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling in the first round of the playoffs. Instead, Jeff Tabaka comes in. Uh, it was the last pitch he would ever throw in his major league career. <laughs> it was deposited into the left field stands of the Goodbush Stadium. Nine years, 364 days later... I am of the opinion, and I think if you listen to the show, you know I'm not pro or anti Tony La Russa. Uh, I am the, of the opinion that Tony blew that last night. Garcia threw 41% of his pitches between the fifth inning and the end of the sixth inning of what he had done relative to the first 
four and two-thirds. So suddenly something wasn't right. He was getting the balls up. He was falling behind hitters. And he was on the brink in the sixth inning. I don't mind Tony La Russa not pinch hitting for him in the bottom of the sixth inning with two outs and runners on. But, unfortunately, I guess it would be called first guessing or whatever because Twitter allows things to be on the record. Uh, sometimes that's good. I guess sometimes it's bad. But what my tweet was right after that inning was, I feel like Garcia is starting to trend downward. Finally, be ready with somebody. He falls behind Shane Victorino, 3-0. Hadn't had that happen all game. Then Victorino helps him out on a 3-1 pitch by fouling off a ball. 3-2 pitch, he rips it, line drive, base hit. At that point, to me, in a 0-0 game where literally one run could be the difference between you being up two games to one and down two games to one, you have to have guys at least starting to get loose in the bullpen. First pitch, what is ruled a pass ball. Yadier Molina, I see in Joe Strauss's article, called that ruling unbelievable. thought that was a little interesting side note. Either way, the ball was in the dirt again. So he was either way up in the zone or he was throwing balls in the dirt. He gets Mayberry to fly out to right. They almost double Victorino off of second base. Um, they get Polanco. But at this point, if you recall, Yadier Molina is back and forth to the mound. Garcia, as we know, is psychologically sensitive. He goes on tilt very easily. And they have an exchange after they get Polanco to ground out. Now, I don't know if Molina wanted to walk. Ruiz. I don't know if it was just flat out Larusa. I don't know if Garcia didn't want to. I don't know if Garcia wanted to. He said he did not want to. You could tell by his body language and the way he said it. Uh, that's what the manager wanted to do. If you don't have enough faith in your pitcher to get out Carlos Ruiz, and so much so that in a scoreless game in which one run or maybe two runs will be the difference again between being up two games to one or down two games to one in a best-of-five series, that you will put Ruiz on base put a run on base, then how can you have faith in him facing anybody else? Ah, I know it's coming. He's one for nine. Ben Francisco's one for nine in his career. He's one for nine in his career against Jaime Garcia when Jaime Garcia's not gassed. And Jaime Garcia was gassed. He was gassed at that point. And he left him out there. Beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. Francisco hits the home run. It's not second-guessing. The Twitter timeline's there to prove that it's first guessing. Garcia gives up the home run. I was totally against what took place last Tuesday with Garcia in the seventh inning. Was shocked by that. This one, it was so obvious. The cat and I were discuss discussing it, and he texted me. He goes, leave him in, right? Just joking around. He was texting with me, and I go, ha-ha, no. I thought for sure after the Hairston double, he was out. I didn't even think yeah. it was like a decision. Yeah. It was so obvious. Yeah. And then he left him in there. The return on investment of... Having Garcia get through the next two hitters is what? You have 12 pitchers on the roster. What do you get out of it by him maybe getting through it when LaRusse in the postgame acknowledged that his last hitter was going to be fielder? And the justification for leaving Garcia in against Francisco, the three-run home run guy who you've never heard of before last Tuesday, was that he was one for nine against Jaime Garcia. Okay, if you're going to stick to that, I would argue that Garcia wasn't the same guy that Francisco had faced when he was 1-for-9 because he was on fumes. But if you're going to use that, fair enough. Well, Octavio Dotel and Ryan Braun are a great matchup for the Cardinals. Braun, 2-for-8, six strikeouts somehow, but that's what the stat is. Fielder, 2-for-8, six strikeouts. So if you're going to use the numbers in one capacity, then I would think you would apply them in the other two capacities. 
but he didn't. And if you're going to have 12 pitchers on the roster, especially when you love to double switch defensively late in games and then potentially hamstring your bench, use the bullpen, especially when you have a favorable matchup. And in this case, unlike last week, he had Dotel ready to go. I'm blown away by it. Blown away by it. And in my opinion, if Tony LaRussa manages the bullpen properly in Game 3 against Philadelphia, in Game 1 against the Brewers, the Cardinals are 5-1 and one in the playoffs. The game plan has to be don't let Braun and Fielder beat you, right? I mean, yes. that, that's got to be the game plan. There wasn't a reliever that had thrown a pitch in a game since Wednesday. You got everybody down there healthy. That would have been the game right then to, to let the bullpen take it from the fifth inning on. I thought it, I thought it was a clear decision. I, I was stunned also that he didn't take him out. Stunned. I was surprised by what became yesterday's, to an extent local, more so national talking point, which was Tony LaRusse is a genius. I didn't see what he did in game one that was really genius. So, along those same lines, in last night's game, I don't see what he did that was really, quote, ungenious. I realize I'm making up words here. Because the same thing that I didn't like in game one is the same thing that he did last night, which was pulling David Freeze and replacing with Daniel Descalzo in a one-run game. It's just this time, the results were different. So it's first-guessing, not second-guessing. So you can write your poetic words to praise this manager, but he did the exact same thing last night that he did in Game 1 when you were saying he was a genius. The only thing that I have a problem with, I'll reiterate, that I first-guessed was pulling David Freeze. I don't get it. And my hope is, now that it has, in my opinion, burned them in a sense, although we don't know for certain that it has, but Freeze's spot came up in the bottom of the eighth, runner in scoring position, and he's the hottest hitter on the team, the National League Championship Series MVP, and Daniel Descalzo came up. Um, to me, that's indefensible. But it's been going on for a few weeks. Yeah, it's not like it just happened. So I can't all of a sudden go, well, now it's terrible. I've thought it was terrible for the last few weeks. I also don't like, in a one nothing game, pulling Lance Berkman. Because if the Rangers don't score Andrews, and only Kinsler scores, that he pulls Berkman. And if you go into a 1-1 game, and, and you have David Freeze, the NLCS MVP, and Lance Berkman, the National League Comeback Player of the Year, on the bench to win Game 2, that also is indefensible. Uh, I know some people didn't like pulling Mott. I know some people didn't like, um, I can't think of what all the, the defensive alignment before Kinsler's blue pit. Um, Albert Pujols not making the play on Jay's throw. I didn't like Jay's throw, and I didn't like Pujols' play on it. Um, but for my money, the Texas Rangers won that game. Last night, even through the fifth inning, uh, I knew that it wasn't going to be a cap tipper. The Cardinals pissed away way, way too many opportunities for it to be a cap tipper. However, what transpired with Alan Craig stealing in the seventh, but more importantly, the bullpen situation in the bottom of the eighth inning. And then, to top it all off, the post-game press conference, I'm left stunned by what took place in Arlington to lead the Cardinals to be on the brink of elimination. The bullpen moves. And I will say this, when Zipchinski's still in there to face Napoli, I'm thinking, all right, he's faced right-handers. He's actually been good in the postseason. I might I might opt for Mott here, but I understand it. You know, I mean, I, it, that... But when I see Lynn not only warming up but coming into the game, I'm thinking, all right, something something has gone awry. That was the red flag for me because Tony was quite 
emphatic that uh, Lynn would not pitch until the Cardinals came back to St. Louis. Now, for me, I'm not as devastated by it because I felt like I could see the loss coming with all the missed opportunities early on. Seven hits, nine walks. Nine. A hit batsman and two errors, and you only score two runs. For me, as the Inside STL poll question asks this morning, what do you put the Game 5 loss on? Cardinal hitters Tony LaRusso give the Rangers credit. For me, it is number one, the Cardinal hitters. Then we get into the eighth inning in Phonegate. Bernie Miklas' column, by the way, this morning is hilarious. Mocking Tony LaRusso's explanation of what took place. So help me. I'm more certain of what took place in Dallas in 1963 than I am in Dallas in 2011 after listening to what Tony LaRusso tried to explain with the bullpen in the eighth inning. So, Octavio Dotel comes in, leaves up a slider to Michael Young, double to the gap already at that point. The Cardinals are going to lose the game in my mind. But I didn't expect it to go down like this. They walk Nelson Cruz, bring in Mark Zipchinski. Am I pronouncing his name wrong? Because Tony La Russa pronounces his name totally different. I would feel like the manager would know how to pronounce it. Is it is Zipchinski. Okay, so Tony La Russa calls him Rosinski. So Zipchinski comes in, and then he gets the ground ball. It's a very tough play. They wouldn't have gotten a double play on it. Had it gotten through, I think they would have gotten one out. Changes the complexion of the inning if they get one. Correct. So at that point, tell me if I'm wrong here, but now the bases are loaded. Yes. All right. And up comes Mike Napoli, who at this point is the World Series MVP. I don't know anybody you will find who would disagree with that. Tony leaves him in, and Napoli crushes one again to right center. Slider up. And uh, didn't do much. Flat slider, and it's 4-2 to two at that point. So then it just starts to get really bizarre. World. Now he strikes out Moreland, and then Lance Lynn comes in, and Tony... Yanks Lynn after he intentionally walks Ian Kinsler. Then he brings in Jason Mott. So it strikes you as odd that Lance Lynn's only brought in to intentionally walk a guy. Plus, why wasn't Lance Lynn brought in to face the right-hander? Plus, on top of that, I was under the impression before the game that Lance Lynn was not available. He was not available. Which goes back to what we're about to play here. Phone gate. The explanation, for those who haven't heard it, will we'll floor you. I don't know what else to say outside of that. I can say it with confidence because I went back over it. I had friends texting me saying, I can't believe this. This is so odd. Plus the way with which deliver- Larusa delivered it was almost like he was laughing about it. It makes it all the more bizarre world. I present Phonegate. Well, what happened was that uh, twice the, the bullpen didn't hear Mott's name. You know, they heard Rzinski and, and they didn't get Mott. I looked up there and Mott wasn't going. So I called back from Mott and they got Lynn up. That's why we walked. He wasn't supposed to pitch today. So I really wasn't going to. I wasn't going to let him throw that hitter. He just threw the warm ups and we walked him, and, and Mott finally was ready. Just, I don't know if it's noisy, probably real noisy. They just didn't hear. Even the second time, they heard Rosinski, and they didn't hear Mott. And then called back, said Mott, they heard Lynn. That's why I went out there, and here comes Lynn. I went, wrong guy. Now he's not going to pitch today. And then I said, you walk. You know, I said, go back, get Mott ready. We'll walk the guy because I don't want Lynn to reach back for extra. He's not supposed to pitch. I wasn't going to hurt him. And then Mott came in. That's why I told him. I must be loud. I mean, I give the fans credit. Sometimes real loud. Kept tempers the fans. Some of the bullpens that are right amidst the fans. And it's excited. I mean, it happens in Pittsburgh. I mean, Philadelphia. Hard to hear it there. 
so it's not unusual. Yeah, of course not unusual. I honestly think that I feel like if it were 2006 that that would have been me and you asking Martin to do the LaRusso impression for Ask Tony and explaining why Ray King was left in to face eight hitters. But, I mean, we called out the bullpen and they, and it would have been a joke. But this, but is, this real. is Game 5 of the World Series, bottom of the 8th, with the World Series on the line. 2-2 game, 2-2 series, most crucial situation to date, and the bullpen cannot hear who Tony LaRusa is calling for. Zipchinski, for the record, is a distinct name. Zipchinski does not sound like Mott. But it does sound like Lynn. No. So Zipchinski gets up, and he's throwing, and then Tony walks out to the mound. According to the story, all, all I can do is work with the text with which I'm given by <laughs> by the skipper. But he walks out to the mound, like, well, I didn't expect to see you here. I, don't, I, I can't even begin... To convey my confusion on this, I want I want to read what I typed out because I went back over it again. Like I said, like the Zapruder film. Well, what happened was twice the bullpen didn't hear Mott's name; they only heard, I'm quoting Tony Rosinski. And I gave that look out there, and Mott wasn't going, so I called back for Mott, and they got Lynn up. That's why we walked Kinsler with Lynn. He wasn't supposed to pitch a day. I don't know if it was noisy, probably real noisy. They just didn't hear, even the second time. They heard Rosinski. That's a totally separate issue. That's a totally different dude. He's not even on the roster. They didn't hear Mott. Then I called back and said Mott, but they heard Lynn. Again, this is a transcription I'm reading. This is, this is a deposition. So I went out there, and here comes Lynn. I said, wrong guy. I said, Go, I don't know who he's saying this to. I said, go back and get Mott ready. We'll walk the guy because I don't want Lynn to reach back. He wasn't supposed to pitch. I wasn't going to hurt him. Then Mott came in. It must be loud. I give their friends, their fans credit. First question, do you believe it? I don't believe everything. I can't. I mean, I'm not saying he's Don't not call the Cat Cardinals apologist. He's going to flat out say I mean, can't, it. Who's answering the phone? I just there? can't. Liliquist. I assume yeah. it's or Murph. Liliquist or Murph, but... I honestly, uh, you're t- you're telling me that you're walking out to the mound. Oh, what? <laughs> you should like let it go. Why is he here? If this were to happen in May, we'd talk about it all day. Right. Much less Game Five of the World Series in a two-two game. Loud down there in the bullpen. Give their fans credit. Like Pittsburgh. He, he did initially bust out of like Pittsburgh, which would have made it officially ask Tony. I go, oh, I, if I wouldn't have been watching, I would have said, oh, Martin. Martin's you know just what? sending in a little soundbite I... for a prank. You're listening to Swope's Picks on 590 The Fan, 1057HD2FM, and com. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by Tim McKernan. Tim, what's up? What's up, Buck Swope? I'm a huge fan, and it's an honor to be on your program. Well, I, I appreciate that. So we're talking 2011 Cardinals. That season, you could live to be 120 years old. There's only going to be one season like that. I feel like, in hindsight, a lot of what happened that season kind of gets lost after, you know, people people remember Carpenter's duel with Halliday, but mostly they remember Game 6, they remember David Freeze, and they remember the Cardinals winning Game 7. But so much happened over the course of that season, including in the postseason, that is just completely forgotten. Because you're right. When you think of 2011, what do you immediately think of? You think of Freeze off Feliz in the ninth. 
You may think of Berkman off of Feldman in the 10th, and of course, Freeze with the game-winning home run in the 11th. But there was so much BS, the Rasmus trade, uh, and uh, those blown games in September, yanking Carpenter. Uh, there was that game where Calvin May asked about the uh, of the fire in the that, dugout, which did happen to coincide with like their worst effing loss. Do you think Cal May took down the four hundred dollar pot with that question, or do you think that was no, Cal, Cal no, May being Cal no. May? That was Cal May being Cal May. For me, I became a daily listener during this era, during between the Rasmus trade. And Game 6, I became a daily listener, and I never looked back. All this crazy stuff is happening, and you listen, and McKernan and Doug are articulating things, whether it be Doug talking about David Freeze or you guys talking about Octavio Dotel should be in there against Braun. I mean, these are things that actually came about later on in the postseason and became the reason we won, and you guys were kind of talking about it in advance. So I thought that was just a fascinating dive into TMA audio that I felt like I need to edit this in. I think we'll do a we'll do a follow up where we actually kind of get into the hap, the good times where they won, but I just wanted to really it's like how do I explain this to my kids? How do I explain the 2011 Cardinals to my kids? You have to start with, well first of all, so much crap went down and they never should have been there. It was, I mean, even in the first week of the season, you did not think this was a World Series contender or even really a, an interesting team. Well, the thing that, that stood out to me um, in listening to all of the audio um, was how chaotic the season was before the run began. And so as I listened to all of your audio from the 2011 season, with the benefit, of course, of hindsight, some of it is comical. Some of it, like me on the Rasmus trade or Doug talking about David Freeze. Fortunately, however... When I do listen to that, and again, I realize that my baseball memory is super nerdy. Dropping that Jeff Tabaka was... I mean, yeah, no, that, 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 but what I'm talking about with 2011 in, in the NLCS specifically, although the Tabaka Road is magical in 2001, but 2011 postseason specifically, what happened, I believe that was game one of the Brewers where he left Jaime out there and he got rocked and that was the end of it. But that ended it. That was the end of La Russa dicking around with the rotation. With Minus Carpenter, nobody else the rest of the way even pitched into the sixth inning, and maybe not even the fifth inning. He was pulling starters left and right. That, that After the debacle against the Phillies in Game 3 and after the debacle against the Brewers in Game 1, both with Garcia, he was done and leaving those guys in, and so he would yank them super quickly, and it was like, okay, it's over. It might have taken 23 blown saves, and, you know, and it might have taken two playoff meltdowns by Garcia in the same postseason, but he figured it out, and he was given another, Right, and the same thing happened. Guy. He was given another ball in the pinball machine. You know, he was given another chance, and he took advantage. So I want to ask one thing about Mosaic real quick before we get into PhoneGate. The, the Rasmus trade. I mean, that is a trade that I think, when they won the World Series, it really kind of established Mosaic as, I mean, he won. He made the risky move, and it paid off. Rasmus didn't turn out to be a superstar. They didn't get the haul that we they could have got had he traded had they traded him sooner, but they got the pieces that were the the right pieces to beat Philadelphia, to beat Milwaukee, and they ended up winning the World Series. It's a tough thing to evaluate because it, I don't view it as a baseball trade. It was done because Larusa and Rasmus were done, and so at that point, it's about 
getting whatever you can in a situation where the guy can't be there anymore. See Troy, see Troy Gloss, Scott Rowland, for example. Um, and so I don't view that in the same capacity as I view, for example, in 2013, John Lackey and Joe Kelly and Alan Craig. I loved that trade. Right. I loved that trade for the Cardinals. That, to me, was more savvy than the Rasmus trade because, again, the Rasmus trade was just something you had to do. It seemed like Mosella, I mean, after making that trade and after winning the World Series, it just seemed like he had arrived, whereas up until that point, he hadn't, they hadn't won anything. He'd been there for a few years, and they had had this kind of window, the kind of second half of Pujols' prime, and the window was closing, and you felt like, this is all we got for Rasmus? I mean, that was where we were in, in July and, and August of 2011 was, this is all we could get. This was a guy that we could have traded for a top-tier pitcher you know, a few years ago, and this is a guy that we're trading him while his value is low, over, emotion, like you alluded to, emotional BS and just not being able to work with the manager anymore. And it was just, you felt like everything was slipping away, and then they win the World Series, and now all of a sudden, Mozalek is, you know, the badass GM. So before I let you go, let's just talk about PhoneGate, because I feel like if Game 6 doesn't happen, this would be a much bigger story and would have gone, would be remembered along the lines of the, the Vince Coleman and the TARP and other famous, you know, championship game gaffes or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I mean, even, I mean, Cat was like, I don't believe it. Uh, you know, for yeah, I, you know, when I was listening, when I was listening to that, I was surprised he said that because I know, and since he said it, I will now say this publicly. I know we've talked about it, and I know he said, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't what what, what happened. Um, I don't know exactly what it was. I just know that he says that's not what happened, uh, and he said it that morning on the show, which was right. very surprising to me to hear that. I didn't know, and I, honestly, I, I, it's almost erased from my memory. I remember it. And I and I was able to hear, courtesy of your audio, what I said the next morning, and I, you know, like analyzed the deposition, so to speak, of Tony Larusa's post game comments, and they were just they were so contradictory and all over the map, it, it screamed bluff. But clearly, he was either he had a a major lapse himself, or he was covering for somebody else. I mean, it's some there was clearly some sort of breakdown and he was yeah he was falling on it and just coming up with this farcical you know explanation i truthfully don't know exactly what happened if the cardinals would have lost that game i mean so many things the late joe strauss said cardinals don't have that comeback in 2011 the, the direction the organization would have taken totally different it was so signature not only from the fact that it led of course to a world championship but it also altered the perspective of the fan base in baseball on so many different people, their legacies, starting with Tony La Russa. If they lose that series, and that is what is talked about over and over again, and then he steps down. John Mazalak, who you made reference to earlier and how he kind of became the Don with that trade, he wouldn't have had that kind of leverage in the organization had they not won the World Series, had they not even gotten to the postseason, of course, as far as legacies go, you know, David Freeze is forever a god. Uh, Chris Carpenter already was viewed in, in, in a Gibson-esque light, I think, going into that series. 
he really had his signature Gibson-esque postseason moments because he started three of those games and he was um, outstanding, especially on short rest twice in that month. You know, all of these things that now are truths for Cardinal fans were determined solely by what transpired in uh, in September and October of 2011, and people will live forever because of those 60 days. But you know, I wouldn't trade those those Octobers in 2011's case, September's, for anything because uh, it provided as as much of a thrill for a baseball fan as you could ever possibly ask for. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. We'll talk to you later. My pleasure. Thank you, Buck Swope. Liberty Mutual Insurance presents An Opportunity to Save, starring Brother Kevin Abair. Ah, hello, Brother Abair. Your Liberty Mutual Insurance representative, Brother Abair, lives and works in your community. Giving back to the community. Giving back to the community. Brother Abair, it, it just dawns on me that uh, you seem like a, a very intelligent guy, very intelligent guy, very intelligent guy. Brother Kevin Abair, very intelligent guy, will get you the best price on the right coverage. I'm not bragging, I'm just stating fact. See how much you could save on your auto and home insurance. Oh, I had to do the research. That's a puppy. Call Brother Kevin Abair at Liberty Mutual, 314-520-0386. Yeah, brother. Once again, that's Brother Kevin Abair at Liberty Mutual, 314-520-0386. Brother Abair, thank you. God bless you, sir. Good night, everybody. Swope here, reminding you that all episodes of Swope's Picks are available for download at InsideSTL.com. You can also find Swope's Picks on iTunes in the comedy section under S for Swope. RBI Crew 7 in Florissant is your spot for sports cards and collectibles. Charlie, give me a call. I got some uh, starting lineup figures to sell you. Ooh. An overpriced uh, number, okay? They are always buying, selling, and trading. Oh my! Goodness. I'm actually looking them up right now, and there's some that are going for two hundred, two fifty, three hundred really? bucks. And yeah. what'd you pay for? All right. Six RBI Crew Seven carries new hobby products. They sell single cards, both modern and vintage. The ones from like we're talking '88, '89, the the first run of them. Signed memorabilia and stadium giveaway items. Some of them are uh, very valuable. I have a dildo in the shape of Bob Horner. Then I had four or five of them. We thought they were just the coolest things in the world. I'm sure my kids had some of those. But John Vaughn did. I think he probably did. I held on to them for a long time. They're probably worth something out, too. I think some of the guys were produced less than others. Like, Michael Jordan isn't necessarily the most valuable one. Like, Carl Malone is worth 450 bucks compared to... Uh, oh, would you pay $450 for website? Carl Malone? I would not. Find them online at rbicrew7.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Brother Bear with Liberty Mutual and RBI Crew 7 Sports Cards and Collectibles for their support. Special thanks to Tim McKernan for joining us. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. You've been listening to Swope's Picks. Enjoy the mashup. Back it up a bit, but, but, back it up a bit, but, but, good morning. What you boys doing? Passing Doug around like everybody else. Oh, back it up a bit. The door's open for a lot of different people. Oh, the action on me, I'm sorry. The door's open three different ways. Three? Come here, big fella. Ooh, that'll be great. But, but, the door's open. Plug this hole and then that one. Back it up a bit. Too deep. You're going to have times when you're just fighting through it. 
I'm going to curl up in a fetal position and eat daddy butter. That's how I cope. That's why you're a pro. Good morning. (laughs) Close your eyes and start shaking your head. Back it up a bit. You didn't complain about it last evening. Oh. You ever spank any of your bad employees? Doug, can you lotion me up? Really, you're just paying more for a little extra goo. Back it up a bit. Does anybody know what the phrase, give me that daddy butter, means? It means, stick it in me bum. Well, I have never seen this side of you, Doug. Oh, my God. You have a pubic hair on your shirt. All right, boys. On this play at first base, the fellas down in the field tell me that Bumgarner kept saying, hollering, I guess, at Puig, don't look at me. Back it up a bit. Don't look at me. And the next thing you know, what are you going to do to me? Back it up a bit. (laughs) What? Back it up a bit. What you do to me? What you do to me? So one saying what you do to me and the other saying don't look at me. I don't know if it's noisy. Probably real noisy. They're just in here. 